Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Leslie D. won free groceries and shop, play, win Monopoly at Safeway. Don't miss your chance with only three weeks left to play. Satisfy your thirst with Coca-Cola, bubbly or sparkling ice. Take a snack break with Sargento cheese or Ritz and serve up fun with Pop-Tarts. Increase your chances to win. Shop these bonus ticket items specially tagged in store. Download the Shop, Play, Win app to play today. No purchase necessary. See rules at www.shopplaywin.com. Hasbro is not a sponsor of this promotion. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. Nick, uh, the play in the first inning, the ball looked like it skipped off a lip of the grass, but can you take us through what your uh, view of it was? Yeah, that, that was uh, yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Uh, you know, I, I felt like I had a good read on it. You know, I saw it the whole way, and then at the last second, sure enough, just caught the lip exactly right and popped up a little bit. And uh, even later in the game, the lip kind of, try to pop up on another one and uh that's something i'll keep in the back of my mind and tomorrow i'll take ground balls and uh figure it out a little bit more but yeah just kind of one of those things it, it happened perfectly and uh yeah it's frustrating uh nick madrigal after the game white Sox lose five to three so um we can say that if it wasn't for nick madrigal Sox win right Cost you two runs with the early air on defense. Stop it. Cost you a run uh, with his poor base running. Huh? Joe Ostrowski with you. Sports Radio 670, the score. Let's talk socks with Jim Margulis from SoxMachine.com. Follow him on Twitter at SoxMachine. Uh, Jim, as uh, you were jumping on, I just pulled up your uh, Twitter bio. When did you move to Nashville? I moved in March in between the tornado oh. and the pandemic. <laughs> so it was right before every everything stopped or yeah states were closing in my wake as i was driving down oh wow uh how yeah. is that I, I was talking to a friend a couple of months ago who lives down in nashville and he basically told me everyone here is crazy and acting like nothing is going on a lot of it is uh i stay away from broadway and such like i've driven through yeah. there just out of curiosity just to kind of rubberneck at the scene but i don't stop just because yeah it's it doesn't look like a good idea and the other enough places around here the quieter places that that do social distancing and masking and stuff very well so i try to support those businesses on the side because uh those it it's just uh yeah broadway is is uh-huh. it's a scene but it's not quite indicative of the whole area is it 
is it? I've been to Broadway a couple of times. Love visiting downtown Nashville. Anybody that's been there uh, seems to love it. It's pretty much unanimous. Um, are, is it like it? Like nothing's really going on down there? It was for a bit. Like after they they closed everything down, then when it opened back up, everybody went full bore back into. Or at least maybe a lot of some locals, a lot of tourists still came down. A lot of bachelorette parties and uh-huh. other you know the the uh, the drinking mobiles were still fully active, and then. <laughs> Cases started to flare up in the metro area, so they had to stamp that down, and masks started becoming a little bit more prevalent. So it's been a balancing act between closing down and, and you know, trying to find, like, a happy middle, and I don't think it's been quite found yet. Gotcha. Um, we'll talk about today's 5-3 to three loss, but it's, it's – uh, you're getting used to this whole sitting at home and you turn on the TV and watching your White Sox participate in the postseason? Yeah, it's it was yeah. I, I was actually writing about it in 2008, so I had to dust off uh, some of the cobwebs in that part of my brain, realizing that they're actually playing for something now. But no, it, it's I think it's a year ahead of schedule, and I think I was surprised by how well baseball pulled it off. I mean, there were some uh, some flare-ups with the you know, Cardinals and the Marlins and such that jeopardized it and felt like the season could fall apart at any time, but. Yeah, everybody in the White Sox seem to handle it responsibly. You know, most of the teams seem to have a pretty good handle on how to go about conducting business. So, you know, I, I think it's in a full 162 game season, the White Sox wouldn't get there. But it's not a it's it's just a different year. And I welcome the extra games, the extra reps, the even if it isn't a true postseason experience. I, I think it's good for you know guys like Giolito to ace a test, like Tim Anderson to show up and back up his talk, even if it's not quite the normal experience it still counts like it and i think the players at least a lot of them are responding the way you'd like to see them respond to it uh jim maybe i'm being too kind here but uh one of my big takeaways in the Sox loss today was uh you know you know trailing five nothing through seven they bring in their closer for the final six outs they could have shut it down but it, it's what we saw a lot this year from this group at least you saw the fight, and they were in this thing until the final at-bat of the game with Abreu, and it was the spot that Sox fans were hoping to be in, a chance to at least tie the game or even take the lead with your best hitter at the dish. Yeah, there's no there's no fault in the at-bats, the quality of the bats late in the game. Like even Abreu, you know, grounding out to second, it was a pitch he thought he could inside out to the right center gap the way he likes to do it, and he hit the ball well enough, just couldn't get in the air, and you know, that happens, but the quality of the bats were there. And, you know, like you mentioned, or, or like the, the, the soundbite that you had with Nick Madrigal, he looked like somebody who, at least in the field on the base paths, a little bit overwhelmed by the moment. And it seemed like the White Sox, given their right-handed nature of the lineup and, and how like a, a good right-handed pitcher like Chris Bassett can shut them down for innings at a time. You know, it's a talent thing. It's not an effort thing. Uh, it's it's not for a lack of wanting to. And it's, uh, you know, they just have a weakness that can be exploited, exploited by certain pitchers and certain staffs. Um, you know, we saw him facing lefty and had no problems. Uh, righty gave him more problems, but they hung in there and waited for uh, an opening. And I, I really don't understand the move to Liam Hendricks for, for two innings. He's a good closer. It's not, yeah, he's not a good closer. It just struck me as panic managing in a game that Oakland had full control over and Hendricks didn't look ready for two innings and certainly not 10 batters and 49 pitches. And the White Sox made him pay for that. And so, uh, you know, whether, you know, whether they won the game or not, at least they were able to compromise the bullpen a little bit. I know Bob Melvin's talking, saying that Hendricks is available for game three. And I'm thinking, no, he's not. 
Yeah. <laughs> not not in, a, not in a situation that has that kind of leverage. What was your assessment of um, Dallas Keuchel's issues today? Well, I was a little bit worried about him just because the back issue that he had and was coming back from was not entirely in the past, you know, or just in, in the in the recent past, I should say. And you know, came back through four innings, uh, through six innings, and was looking mostly like himself. But you know, just given how he operates with you know mostly pitch to contact and ground balls, and you know, being on the other side of thirty, that it struck me that he might not be fully back yet, or. Uh, just might be more susceptible to, um, you know, worse outings the way that, like, with with Keuchel, it seems like he can either make it look really easy or it makes it look like he's barely holding on. And I think like a, a pitcher who misses bats more like Giolito, he seems like he can either dominate or sometimes he struggles, but he feels like he can flip the switch at any moment and be that dominant form. Keuchel doesn't quite have that mode, so... I think he's more vulnerable to like a situation like the first where a couple of plays aren't made behind him and he gives up two runs. And then uh, the sinker kind of floats up in the zone later on and gets hammered out of the park. So, you know, that's why he was maybe the White Sox second choice going into the uh, off season. They wanted Zach Wheeler more because he's got more of that bat missing ability. Uh, but Keuchel, I think, you know, he gets them to the postseason and I think he can deliver, but sometimes they'll have these starts where uh, the contact is the bad kind. Joe Ostrowski uh, with my guest Jim Margulis right here on Sports Radio 670. The score, check out Jim's work, SoxMachine.com. We didn't learn anything in the postgame. We, we were hoping to learn about the pitching matchup for Game 3 tomorrow afternoon. What would you do? Well, I think the one thing we learned is it's not Dylan Cease starting. That was maybe one of the things he can eliminate because he appeared. You know, I think he's still available if need be, but I think... If he's uh, needed, it probably is not a game. It's either well in the extra innings or not a game uh, the White Sox think they can win. So I think it's going to be, at least my thought would be, Dane Dunning to start because he has experience starting. And even when he's looked a bit rough for the last two times out, it hasn't been early on. And he gets ground balls, keeps the ball in the park, generally speaking. So I like him for at least one time through. I think by the third inning or by the time the uh, lineup pops up for the second time, I think Renteri has got to have his bullpen at the ready. I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Dunning backed up by Garrett Crochet. Like if they try to do what they did with Giolito, uh, the Oakland lineup stacking lefties at the top, wouldn't mind to have Crochet there the second time around to kind of uh, defeat that ambush and have him go two innings, maybe three if the first two are easy, but I wouldn't want to stretch him too much because this is his first weeks in pro ball. It's, it's uh it's insane that he's looked as as good as he has, given that he has no pro experience. So I, I don't want to get carried away and, and put, O'Shea in a position where he loses a series because he doesn't know any better. Like It strikes me slightly unfair to the prospect to have him in that position. So I think Crochet for two, and then you have Hoyer, you have Foster, you have Marshall, Bummer, Colome. I think you can get five innings out of that easily. Wasn't Encarnacion doing there today? I think, well, I, I, there's there's lack of better options for one. I, you know, with the late innings and with Eloy on deck at one point, but then uh, Renteria said that he was going to pull him back for James McCann against lefty. I wonder if Eloy is more of a decoy in this series than somebody who can really pose a threat. You know, just someone who who lingers in their thought process, but uh, Renteria is planning around him. That's just one of my ideas from, you know, McCann being there in the late innings more than Jimenez. Uh, You know, with with McCann against righty, he's been cold, so he's not a great option. Uh, You know, Mazzara, not a great option. Encarnacion, I think they just want to find some of that 30 home run magic, uh, a quick strike against Bassett, who works low in the zone, who, who throws cutters. Like Encarnacion has struggled all year, but when he's been okay, it's been against 
either lower velocity or pitchers who work down in the zone, and he can occasionally flip a ball to right field. So if you're going to play him at any point, this is probably the game to do it. But the at-bats that he had, I think, you know, <laughs> Josh and I uh, were talking about it in our post-game show, watching Madrigal try to play defense and just seems like he's rushing everything in the field. We thought about the idea of putting Yolmer Sanchez at second Madrigal at DH, which strikes me as slightly insane, but also maybe not, mm-hmm. you know, given the other bats there. Like, you know, uh, Renteria went for Zach Collins for like a, just a, a wild shot at a three-run homer, and he struck out on three pitches. And that just speaks to the lack of options who are there in that classic DH role. So maybe, you know, if you want good defense plus the best bet, that might be the way to do it. Speaking of Renteria, uh, this might be the uncomfortable part of the conversation or just thinking about uh, one of the many aspects of tomorrow. We're going to see this guy in the all hands on deck situation. And how is he going to respond? Jim, I don't want to have an entire offseason where we're just yelling about Renteria and what he did in game three against the athletics. Yeah, I find myself often in position of a defender of Renteria, partially because the White Sox don't fire managers. So I try to figure out how to learn to live with them, then rage against something that's not going to change. I mean, they left Robin Ventura there for two years too long, and he was not qualified. Renteria is a qualified manager. He may not be like a top tier one, but we're still figuring out where he is in that middle class. There's nothing wrong with like his resume relates well to players. There are things he does well in a managerial role and there may always be jobs for him, even if like contender isn't ends up not being one of them. But I tend to have more faith in him, or at least I tend to look for reasons. Sometimes, you know, they aren't there. Sometimes, you know, he gets burned by a notion that doesn't quite have a lot to support it. But, you know, I think back to the 2015 and 20, uh, yeah, 2014, 2015 Royals and how Ned Yost was, uh, slammed for you know managing his bullpen to paint by numbers, uh, ended up not having one of his good relievers and nearly lost the wild card game. But he learned from it. He got burned, learned from it, got to the World Series two years in a row. Nobody made fun of Ned Yost again. So, yeah, in order to not have too many things I write about and regret later, I try not to come down too hard on individual moments at a time. I try to look at a big picture. I think there are some things like I thought he managed the bullpen well today, and I think Cordero helped him out with two and two thirds innings, but. I think he had the right idea down five, nothing, um, you know, to have to go to Cordero. Cordero just kept pitching innings. Like that was great. Like you left him in uh, cease. You know, I thought that was a good move to use him in that role. Try him out uh, while it was still low leverage. He worked. He brought in Hoyer when it got closer. That was good. He had Colomay warming up. I liked it. Even in game one, like he left Giolito in uh, a batter too long, but you know, he was, he had the bullpen up when I thought he should have had the bullpen up. So I don't think he's been far off from, you know, being, you know, making mostly right calls. Encarnacion is one, but not a lot of better options, not a clearly better option there. So I'll, I'll, you know, I don't have great ideas for him there. And so I think he has a a firm idea now with Bummer and Marshall back of where his pitchers are generally supposed to be. He's been great with crochet, like introducing him to a new different challenge every time, not asking too much, but seeing if he responds and crochet has. So he adds a little bit more onto it. Uh, it's been very responsible there. So I, I generally, I'm not one to call him like dumb or, you know, uh, you know, not smart. And in, in, in reading the, like, you know, just like my mentions are just like, you know, he's going to do another dumb rookie thing or just like, no, he's, he's there. There are, you know, he, he might not have the reason you like, but I think there's a, at least a reason to follow and we can, we can parse it out later. But I think when it comes to bullpen and having qualified arms, he's generally been pretty responsible with that. So I, I think, when it comes to the bullpen, I'm in a, in a bullpen game where all hands are on deck. I like that he's saying all hands are on deck. Like he's not looking. That means like he doesn't look for Dunning for two times through. 
that means like if he goes with Dunning, it'll be one time through. Maybe he doesn't even go with a starter. Maybe he goes bullpen all the way and just goes inning by inning or, you know, uh, or three batters by three batters and works it out there. Like I, I think I'm generally more positive towards Renteria or at least positive for his ability to learn. I hope that there isn't a cautionary tale here or something where we're all griping about in the winter, but given that he's not going to change, I think I would take into the winter that, or I would say the White Sox aren't going to change him. Like I think he can maybe adjust. The White Sox aren't going to be the one to make a change to replace him. I think my attitude is going to be like, okay, let's see if he learns. Let's see. Let's you know, just lay it out there and, and see if he gets better. Cause we're going to be with him for a couple more years, probably. So yeah. Uh, yeah, the serenity, the uh, serenity prayer comes into uh, action where just uh, know the things you can change and then try to adjust the things you can't change. Yeah, life as a White Sox fan, <laughs> you got to understand uh, what they are, or what they're not willing to do. Uh, on the Oakland side of things, we, we officially do not know about their starting pitcher. What What's better for the White Sox? Is it fires or Sean Manaya? I know I'm supposed to say Manaya because he's a southpaw, but when you take a look at Mike Fire's numbers this year with the low K rate and the 5.73 xFIP, I, I don't think they're in a bad spot if they announce Fires. I would prefer Manaya, um, and I do like that though. You know, Tim Anderson said that the A's hadn't done their homework when they started left against them and they beautiful. backed it up. That was very refreshing. Like I was afraid, uh-huh. you know, that uh, you know just get bad luck or something like that, or they'd go one time through, turn the bullpen. Up. And all of a sudden, they're going to have to eat their words. So I, I like when, when good smack talker uh, can be backed up by play. I always enjoy that. That's part of the competitive experience for me. Uh, Manaya, I think they can do something similar to him. But, you know, Fires, they've never hit him well, um, you know, in, in various teams, various forms. Just mm-hmm. they don't take comfortable swings at him. The lineup being what it is, uh, I would prefer not him. But I also, you know, if, if Fires comes in after, like, an inning or two of Manaya or vice versa, like if he just comes in at some point, I'm not going to be throwing in the towel. Uh, as we saw with Hendricks, you know, theoretically with Hendricks coming in the eighth, the White Sox should have been packing him because he's one of the American League's best closers and a righty. But they put in good at bats. They, they, you know, he was not in his top form, and they uh, made him work. They made him sweat. So I think with uh, Fires, you just have to treat the same way. Elimination game. Don't quite know how anybody's going to respond. Don't know how. You know, we we wonder about uh, Renteria, but Melvin didn't cover himself in glory today. So, uh, yeah. yeah, perhaps he's not the best equipped to handle the pressure and make the right moves. So uh, I'm, I'm going into it with an open mind and not, uh, not giving in, not expecting success, but also not expecting failure because uh, these games have a weird way of doing things to people, making heroes out of uh, players who you wouldn't expect. And also just making even like the, you know, going back to, you know, the whole Ned Yost thing with Buck Showalter not bringing Zach Britton, like sometimes – Moves aren't made that should have been made, and you don't know who's going to do it, and it might not be the guy you think. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the excitement and adrenaline of all, just not knowing how it's going to work out. And I, I take the mystery as kind of a positive and just like, hey, the White Sox could be good at this, theoretically. We can't say. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Jim Margulis, SoxMachine.com, on Twitter, at SoxMachine. Uh, thanks, Jim, and uh, best of luck uh, tomorrow, and hopefully you're writing about more Sox games next week. Yeah, maybe we're talking about him, too. Thanks for yes. having me on. Absolutely. There's uh, Jim Margulis talking about Game 3 with the White Sox and A's. I totally get where he's uh, coming from with Manaya and uh, concerned about the history with fires. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, You know, if it's Manaya, we're going to say, all right, perfect. Sox are 15-0 this year against left-handed pitchers. What is Melvin doing? This, they're playing right into their hands, but I've got to also say that I'm not worried about fires. 
When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.